Thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you and encourages you to become more like Him. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing today? I want you to give yourself a big round of applause. You sounded fantastic this morning. You can get a better, better round of applause than that. Let's do it. There you go. Man, I'm so excited. Uh, and I, if you're a guest here at Journey, um, I'm going to apologize in advance. Uh, if you don't know this, I've been gone for two weeks. I take a July sun, uh, study sabbatical. And so I got out of town um, a little bit and read. And, but, like, I am so hopped up on Jesus and, and, and Mountain Dew right now. Like, I may, I may preach for, like, four hours. And so um, I told them only to do one song. They did two, so we're already behind the eight ball. But, no, it's, it's going to be good. And, uh, it's been good to get away, though last week I had the opportunity to just to soak, just to sit in here and listen to Alan speak. We'll talk about that in a minute, um, about how he did and all that kind of jazz. But um, <laughs> no, he did fantastic. So we've been in a series called Epic, and the series has been really good. And if, you have, um, if you've missed any, I would encourage you to go back to journeycommunity.net, go to the media area. You can go uh, listen to all of them. But this has been, and I usually say this, and it's been my, my new favorite series. This has been a great series because, and Alan did, he explained it so well last week, and I didn't even get this until last week, but he said, he, and he corrected himself, he went, he went we're, we, we've been looking at the characters of the Bible, and he stopped, and he went, these aren't characters of the Bible. These are real people with real stories. And see, that's, that's the key, that the people that we've been looking at aren't some fictitious Aesop's fable. These are real people just like us, skin and bones, that are going through real situations. And God took the situations and the human being, and he put the skin on the human being. He, he took those and made them epic, not for us to get you know, a pat on the back or them to get on a pat on the back, that, that, that Jesus would be made famous or God would be made famous in these stories. And so what we've looked at in the first two weeks, I spoke uh, about Moses. Moses is, uh, in my opinion, uh, outside of Jesus, the greatest leader that ever walked the planet. We're going to get to learn from the second greatest leader that I think, other than Jesus, walking the planet today. But we looked at what it was like, you know, to walk through the Red Sea and how he led his people. Then we looked at David, and we looked at this, the one concept about how God is going to give us situations in our life. There's going to be times where there's going to be crisis, and there's going to be a, a contest, and there's going to be critics. And, and eventually, we have to, we, in order for us to be the champion, we have to engage in that battle. And so we looked at David, and then we looked at Esther in week four, and we looked at, I mean, that one line. Did you all remember the one line? For you were created for such a time as this. And I believe God has put callings in every one of our lives for, for this time, for this period of time in the course of history. And then uh, two weeks ago, Brian Shaw spoke about the servant girl, the one that doesn't even have a name. We don't even know her name, but she had a huge impact in the society that she lived in. And then Alan did an amazing job. And I love the direction he took. Last week, he talked about, um, about Jonathan and his armor bearer, but how the armor bearer, I think, honestly, the armor bearer is the most important person in the story. And that God's called every one of us in this church, in this community, in this world to be armor bearers. And this week, it's no surprise, you saw it. Uh, you saw the bumper. We're going to be talking about Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is one of the greatest leaders there ever. But I'm going to make a statement before we go any further, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the punchline. And some of you are going to look at me and go, I can't believe he's saying this. He's not talking about me. He's not even talking to me. If he knew my story, if he knew knew my past, if he knew where I came from, if he knew my mistakes, that, you know, Bobby, you would never be saying this. But I, I believe this with everything, this is a bold statement today. I believe every person in this room has the potential to be an amazing leader. Every person. 
I don't care what you've done in your past. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how jaded it is. I don't care about your divorce. I don't care about your financial ruins. I don't care about any of that stuff. I believe every person in this room has the amazing ability to be a leader, to be an influencer. John Maxwell says it like this. He says, if you are around people and you influence people, you are in fact a leader. And I want you to think about this. If you're a mom, you're a leader. Somebody say amen to that. That's your greatest job. If you're a mom, your greatest job is raising those children to know who Jesus is. If you're a dad, you are a leader. If you're a business owner, you are a leader. If you're a coach, you are a leader. If you're a teacher, you are a leader. If you're a worker in the world that you live in, you're a leader. If you're a cashier at Publix, you are a leader. Until we figure that out, we'll never reach the maximum potential that God has for us. And so I want us all to get this concept because I believe the greatest need in our world right now, we don't need another political leader. We don't need another Republican or Democrat that lies out through the, that tells stories. You know what we need? The greatest need in the world right now is leadership. We need people to know who Jesus is to rise up and be the leaders that God's called them to be. The greatest need in this generation, is for gifted, well-trained, committed, competent leaders to rise up and take their place. Today, we're going to be looking at, in my opinion, the third most amazing leader there's ever been. Now, think about this. This is Nehemiah, and I'm going to give you kind of the cliff notes in a minute. But Nehemiah had one task. He had a little unction from God. He had a little pull on his shirt from God. And in 52 days, he rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem that were laying in rubble for years and years and years. In 52 days, and it made me think, what would happen in our lives? And I'm gonna challenge you today. What would happen in our lives if we committed 52 days to doing anything? How would our families be different if we committed 52 days to our families? How would our prayer life be different if we committed 52 days to our prayer life? How would our study and our relationship with Jesus if we took 52 days and we started digesting and ingesting God's word? What would it look like if we took 52 days and invested in our family? Because I believe 52 days could change this community. I believe 52 days could change this world. If Nehemiah could do it, guess who else could do it? Raise your hand, because he wants to use people in this room right here, watching online, down at Sherwood, over in our other experiences. We are called to be a Nehemiah generation to the world that we live in. And so, what could we do with 52 hours? Just 52 days. Now, let me give you the backstory, because it's really important that we understand this. Nehemiah takes place in 446 BC, okay? Israelites are held captive by another one of those, those ruthless kings. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. If you've ever read through the Bible, you've read about Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel, and we read about him with Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. You remember those three characters? So Shadrach and Daniel and the, and the lion's den. So we see Nebuchadnezzar is the one that throws him in the fiery furnace. So it's, this, it's the same situation. And, and yeah, I want to throw something out. Can I just say, they're in captivity again. Israel, the Israelites are in captivity. You can trace the entire history of Israel and its ups and downs, its ebbs and flows. Now I can tell you, because I have the opportunity to read thousands of years later why it happens, but it should stand to us as a learning lesson that maybe if we follow that same pattern, we're gonna struggle. Maybe if you're struggling in your life right now, you're following this pattern. When they follow after God, everything's good. When they don't follow after God, they're in captivity. When they follow after God, everything's good. And it's ebbs and flows. It goes up and down all throughout the Israelites' history. Hey, you want to know something, just to be honest? I don't have a soapbox today, but I see it happen in our country right now. 
When we're, tapped, when we're tapped into what the Holy Spirit's doing and God's doing in the world, man, God blesses us, and then all of a sudden we get out of kilter, don't we? And, and, and when it starts to go down. And I'm not saying that because I don't think the, the United States is going to hell in a handbasket like everybody else. I believe we're on the verge of the greatest revival we're ever going to see in the course of history because God's people that are called by his name are starting to pray, and the Bible makes a promise. When God's people start to pray, he's going to heal their land. Maybe, maybe that's what we do. Maybe the challenge today is, how about this church? How about people that call themselves faith followers? For 52 days, we pray, we get on our faces before God, we humble, we repent, and ask God to touch our land. I wonder what would happen if just 52 people in this church did that for 52 days. What would happen? I need... I'm, glist, I'm glistening right now. So, 140 years earlier... Jerusalem had been taken um, uh, and attacked by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. The, the temple, so where they worshipped, so like church, was destroyed. Okay, So they had no place to worship. And over the new, uh, several years later, new kings came into play and new, you know, new regimes came into play. They started letting the Israelites go back to Jerusalem, their, 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 their land. They started letting them go back and worshiping. And they let them actually rebuild and rededicate a temple. But there was a big problem. And the problem was the walls around outside the, of Jerusalem and around the temple were left in rubble. And so that meant anybody can come in. So robbers could come in, thieves could come in. They can go in the temple and steal all the, the temple garments. They can do whatever they wanted to do. It's interesting because 2015, I had an opportunity to go, over to, um, to go over to Rome, Italy, or Italy and Spain. And like every time I read about walls in the Bible, I'm thinking about these massive, you know, as high as you can possibly see. The walls, honestly, in some of these places were only about as big as an animal, so the animal couldn't jump. So when, when, when they would come in with chariots, a chariot can't go through, and it was just there to protect, but the walls of Jerusalem were broken down. And this is where it gets really cool. Nehemiah is sitting there, and we're going to talk about this in a second. Nehemiah is sitting there, and he gets a tug. Do you ever get a tug from God? Like there's a tap. You get a tap on your shoulder, and it keeps you awake at night. So all of a sudden, Nehemiah can't think about anything but, because there's this thing, there's, he, though he's never been to Jerusalem, there's this, there's this pilgrimage he needs to go back because it's the place of his ancestors. And so at the time, uh, Nehemiah was just a slave. Nehemiah felt, felt something inside, and he does something about it. Now, I want you to think about what he does. And when I talk about leadership, and I've already established this, every person in this room, every person over there, every person watching online, every person in Sherwood, I believe you're a leader. I believe that you're a leader because you're influencing somebody. But this is what he did. Nehemiah started from scratch as a mere slave, traveled hundreds of miles to a place he had never been before. Now watch this. This is the great rule of thumb for leaders. He analyzed the problem, right? He developed a strategy. He recruited a team. He gave oversight to the project. He faced criticism and he got the job done. See, that's the greatest asset of a leader. They get the job done. Now, I want you to write this down because this is really, really important because I believe when you're doing your leadership, whatever it looks like in your family, you need to think through these things. And I'm gonna say them again. He analyzed the problem. He developed a strategy. He recruited a team to help. He gave oversight to the project. He faced criticism and death threats and then he got the job done. Was it that easy? No. Truth of the matter is, it was quite difficult. And as we're gonna look today, we're gonna land in two chapters. We're gonna land in Nehemiah chapter one and Nehemiah chapter six. And there's four temptations that Nehemiah had to overcome in order to be the leader that God called him to be. And I believe they're very similar to the four temptations that we have to get over if we're ever going to be what God wants us to be. And the first temptation, I want you to write this down. Temptation number one is God could never, ever use me. I can't tell you how many people have walked up to me and go, you don't know, Pastor Bobby, where I've come from. 
You don't know how, how, my, how my past is. You don't, know, you don't know, I have no education. I don't have enough money. And people literally have walked around this place. I've watched them walk in this place right here and go, God can never use me. God can never use me. I, I want to read something because this is really, really important. Because leaders must be willing to become more than you are right now. That's what a leader is. Leaders become more than what they are right now. If you just see yourself as who you are in this very second, you'll never be exactly what God. I've said this before. I'm so glad. How many people, raise your hand. How many people are so glad they're not what they used to be? Raise your hand. Somebody say amen to that. I am glad I'm not what I used to be. But I'm also glad I'm not yet what I'm going to become. Because God's got greater things. I'm, I'm, work, I'm his workmanship. I'm created to do great things, not just mediocre things. Now listen to what Nehemiah says in chapter 1. He says in chapter 1, verse 9, But if you return to me and you keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. Verse 10, there, there are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to the servant today and grant him mercy inside of this man. And the next couple words, I shook my head for like several days reading this. And he goes, and now I was a cupbearer to the king. You know what he's saying? I'm just, I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a, I'm just a cupbearer. You know, yes, he was a slave. But you know, he had the rights of, of everybody else that was in that kingdom. He, he literally sat at the king's table. He ate the king's food. He was the king's right-hand man. The only problem he had is he was a cupbearer. Y'all know what a cupbearer is? Right before the king would drink his wine or whatever he was going to drink, the cupbearer would get it to drink and he would drink it and, 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 and the king would go and go, okay, he didn't die. Let me have it now. His whole job was to make sure it wasn't laced with something. Now you go, that's a great job. Well, unless there's something laced with it. And that's a pretty sucky job, right? Like, I'm going to sit around drinking the king's wine all day. Well, I don't think he's that good if he's like the king pissed somebody off. Like, right? Okay. But you know something? Nehemiah could have stayed right where he was. He didn't have to leave. He had a pretty cushy life. Oh, yeah, there was a little bit of hazard, you know, pay that he probably got. But, but it, it was just one of those deals. He, he could have just stayed there. And you know what this story tells me? Big, big, big picture. That anybody could be used by God. Anybody. Housewives, stay-at-home dads, coaches, teachers, preachers. He can use anybody. It's interesting to me. If you're willing to become more than you are right now, that's the type of person God uses. If you're willing to step out and go, you know something, I want to be more than I am right this very second. I want to be a little bit more than I was yesterday. I want to be a little bit more than I, than I was two days ago. Anyone can be used by God. Hey, you know what? We've gotten into his culture, and I'm, I'm going to say this, and it's happened in the church, and we, we see it in the Bible maybe a little bit, but we, we got into this just a culture. I'm just a, I'm just a, I'm just a whatever. Like the, like the fishermen. Like, you, like Jesus, Jesus used a bunch of fishermen, right? Just the, and they weren't even good fishermen, because you remember the story? He told them like they'd been fishing all night on one side of the boat, and all he did was say, hey, would you throw the nets on the other side of the boat? And they come in with this big catch. They weren't even good justas. But God used him, didn't he? How about this? One of them was a tax collector, like the most despised person in society. He, and there was no rhyme or reason. It wasn't like today, if you're in a tax bracket, you, get, you have to pay this amount. It was like, he looked at you and liked you. You only give a, a percent. But I don't like you, so you're going to give 30%. And so he was like, they were the most despised people. And you know what he did? He used them, didn't he? Hey, by the way, in case you didn't know the story, there was a man that was the savior of the world that was just a carpenter's son. 
Sometimes we forget that, that it was, uh, there was a real, it, was a, it wasn't a place of royalty that he came from. That's why the Jewish people were so freaked out because they were waiting for this high-ranking king and what they got was a carpenter's son. Now, how about this? I, I actually had this happen a couple weeks ago. Somebody said to me, Pastor Bobby, I, I love serving the journey, but I'm, I'm just a camera operator, just a camera operator. And I told him, I said, you know how many people watch us online? Three, four, five hundred people watch us online every week. If it wasn't for camera operators, we couldn't send a signal down to, down to Sherwood. If you don't know, we have a, a campus, a Sherwood campus that are watching. They're, they're with us right now. And they're being simulcast this right here. It wouldn't happen. And I can't tell you the amount of times people literally have asked Jesus to be there. Right now, there's people online, and they're, they're online chat hosts. And they're, they're praying with people, and they're leading people to Jesus, and they're, and they're talking about the message. On That doesn't happen. It's all about, like, you know, God could use it. So one of the things, one of the, the second most important people at Journey, the first most important people are the coffee ministry. Somebody say amen to that. <laughs> if you have coffee, oh, see, everybody's like, yes, sir. Um, the second most important are our hosts. Um, who's wearing a red shirt right now? There's a couple I've seen red, red shirt. You're wearing a red shirt, Miss Miriam. You're wearing a red shirt right now. Our hosts, they're the ones that say, and we've modeled them. It's the first line. So one of the reasons I go, and I'm not endorsing this product, but one of the reasons I go to Publix is my dad worked there for 30 years and they're really nice people. And when I ask, so two weeks ago, I had to go get some stuff um, at the pharmacy at Croak, oops, a store that rhymes with ogre. <laughs> and, and my wife was in first service and she was laughing. I'm texting her, I can't find anything in this place. I couldn't, I couldn't. And, and so I'm looking around for, and they've gone, everything's automated now, like kind of like Walmart, right? And so like everything's automated. So I, I, you can't, so I'm like, I need, and whatever it is, I need whatever, can somebody help me? Nobody can help me. And I text her, I said, I'm going to Publix. I don't care if it's two times the amount, I'm going to Publix right now. And sure enough, it was two times the amount. <laughs> but, but I asked this little, this, little, this little guy, young guy, I said, hey man, can you tell me where so-and-so is? And he was like, come with me. I know who you're. you're. You're Pastor Bobby. Come on. And he walks me all around the thing and he goes, we're out of them. <laughs> but he took me to where we were out of them from. Right? If you're a host here at Journey, I can't tell you the amount of times people have said, the nicest person just walked me to everywhere I needed to go. Or they took me to where the coffee was. Or they took me, they helped me. I saw Alan. Did, you want, Alan, just shut your ears because this is not brag on Alan Day, but Last week, Alan's speaking. Now, if you've never spoken, man, it's tense. The, the minutes right before you get on stage are some of the most tense. My stomach gets in knots. I get sick, all that kind of stuff still. 30 years doing it. Crazy. I, 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 between services, I look over, and Alan is sitting at the check-in area, checking in a family, helping a family check in. I literally said to him, I said, you want me to help you? He goes, nope, I got this. Man, it's the most important. It's that first impression Please do me a favor in this church. Don't ever say you're just at anything. You're not just, you are important. You're taking care of our kids. You're working with students on Wednesday nights. You're leading people to Jesus. You're helping people get baptized. You're leading people in worship. You are not just at anything. As a matter of fact, you are just at something. You are just a king's kid. And that's really, 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 really important. J.C. Penney said it like this, and I love the way he said it. Give me a stock clerk and a goal, and I'll give you a man who will make history. Give me a man with no goals, and I'll give you a stock clerk. In order for us to be successful, we have to get past the first temptation that Nehemiah, Nehemiah said, I'm just a cupbearer. Here's the second temptation. Allowing others to steer you 
off course. Let me tell you, if you do anything great in your life, there's gonna be people that are gonna try to lead you astray. They're gonna lead you down a road that you don't need to go down. And, and, and there's multiple reasons that we don't have time to talk about, but I want you to listen to Nehemiah chapter six, verse one, because it really kind of sets the stage. It says, now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our, army, our, our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that point that the, uh, they had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together in Hephzibah in the plain of Ono. But they intended, watch this, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down? He says, listen, do you understand what I'm doing? I am building a wall. I have about 52 days to do this thing. And the fabrication, the talk that you're doing right down there is not gonna help this wall. Instead of talking, why don't you get up here and help me, help me build this wall? But he was not willing to come down off of his great work. And you know what I found out? People will distract us from our great work. There's people that will try to talk us into doing something else. And I love it because every leader must deal with the temptation of people trying to steer away from finishing the job that God has called us to do. And the enemy, you don't think it's true? The enemy will put people in your path that will distract you to go another direction. And, and maybe our response needs to be like verse three, where he says, and I sent messages to him saying, I am, he didn't even do it himself. He had to send somebody else because the project that he was working on was so important. He said, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down? You know what great works? So he said, this is my great work. And, and I don't think the great work that he was talking about was the wall. I think the great work was the call of God in his life. I just realized, I think he realized that he had a call of God to rebuild something important. And, and what I have found out is so many times doing great work is about priorities. It's the Martha and Mary story. It's, are we going to do better or are we going to do the best? I, I see this happen in church all the time. And I used to say this. I don't say this anymore, but I'll say it today. I used to say, you know, some, if somebody tells me my daughter, you know, one of my kids is ugly, you're going to get beat up, right? You understand that? Everybody good with that? Like if, you, if somebody says your daughter, you know, like you're going to beat the fool out of them, right? But I can say that my daughter's not pretty, right? I'm going somewhere with this. Follow me. <laughs> Some of you are going, I didn't say my, if somebody else says something about journey or the church, I get highly offended because this is my baby. Okay. Whether you understand this or not, maybe you're just visiting for the first time. I'm the founding pastor of this church. This is my baby. This is, this is my teenage baby now, right? I can say there's problems in it. You can't, unless you're a leader here. And then you can say, I get the opportunity to do that. And this is one thing I've seen in the church not journey, but the church, is we have gotten so distracted by so many different things out there, sometimes I don't think we understand what the real vision of church is anymore. Can, can I tell you what the... <clears throat> if you're mad at what I'm about to say, send it to Alan Runner at journeycommunity.net. Our goal at journey is, to, is not to make sure that a certain person gets elected. Our goal at Journey is not to help somebody's political career. Our goal at Journey is not to try to discover all the critical whatevers that are in the world. I had a friend of mine say to me the other day, he said, Pastor Bobby, don't you think we should address critical race in our church? I said, no, what I'm going to address is critical sin. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. The Bible also says that Jesus came while we were yet sinners to save the lost. You know what the goal of this church is? 
It's easy to get distracted by what people are saying. But the goal of this church is to lead as many people to Jesus as we possibly can. It's to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus. We will do everything short of sin to make, make sure people hear about Jesus. So every opportunity we get, whether it's an offering or it's a song or it's a message, we're going to talk about the most important things. That's Jesus. And occasionally we'll have people come up and go, well, what do you think about this? Shouldn't we have it? No, we shouldn't. If it's not about Jesus, we're not going to talk about it here at Journey. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Let me give you a third temptation. Not only is that there are people out there, and we have to understand that there's people out there that are trying to steer us off course. Leaders have a tendency to worry about what people are saying about them. Anybody ever been at the receiving end of something like that? I, I, there's two words in the vocabulary that I hate. Everyone and everything. You know what that means? One or two people and one or two situations. Everybody's leaving Journey right now. No, one person left Journey and they needed to leave Journey. As a matter of fact, we asked them to leave Journey. <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about though? You ever been in the workplace? Everybody's talking about you and then you find out it's one person. Everything's going bad. No, it's one thing that went bad and we're working on it right now. You know what I'm finding out? There's a lot of people out there that like to be negative. Listen to what he says, because I love what he says. He says, in the same way, send ballot for the fifth time. You ever feel like that? They just keep, they're relentless. They just keep coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. For the fifth time, send his servant to me with an open letter. Now, this is really important because an open letter is something that anybody can read. Up to this point, it was sealed with, with wax. Now it's an open letter, and it's like this. It's like the modern-day Facebook, right? Except for they were writing it on the wall. I mean, that's what the back says, write the vision on the wall, right? The Bible says in Proverbs, uh, Psalms, without a vision, people perish, but with a vision, people... Okay. So this is what he's doing. He's going, we're going to have an open letter. Shorthand. But what's happening here is, he says, I want it to be an open letter so everybody can read it, even though it's a bunch of lies. So they have this open letter, and he says, an open letter in his hand. And it's written, it's reported among the nations. Listen what this, this is, how, this is how it happens when you're a leader. People accuse you of things you've never done. And he said, it's reported among the nations. And Geshem also says it. Like, I, I would love, like, hey, Geshem, uh, how many times, th this is one of the things I've done when, when somebody said, hey, Pastor Bobby, somebody said this about you. I'm like, hey, can I call that person up right now with you in the room? You know what you usually say? Well, he didn't really say it that way. Right? So that's what he's saying. And Geshem is saying, whoever Geshem is, Geshem is over there, over here in this other little valley. Geshem, Geshem knows how you are, Nehemiah. You're, you're just looking for all, the, that's, Geshem gets it. He said, Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, the reports, anybody have those ever come against them? The reports. The reports you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, and now the king will hear of all these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. What does he ask him again? Get off the wall and come down here. You know what I'm amazed at? People that are critics are always camouflaging their lack of doing anything. And they don't want anybody else working around them to make them look bad. Think about that for a second. So we have this situation. Now I'm going to tell you a leadership principle that's more important than anything else you'll hear today. Actions speak louder than words. Your actions, how you respond, what you do will speak louder than words. So this is what he said. This is what Nehemiah does in verse eight. 
He said, then I sent to him saying, no such thing as you say have been, has been done. For you were inventing them out of your own mind. He calls them a crazy man. He said, you are making these up right here. And then he goes, for they, are all, they all wanted to frighten us, thinking that their hands will drop from, from, um, from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Now, now can, I, can I say something really honest? Like, really honest. It's scary when people talk about you. And, and don't think for a second it doesn't hurt. Even the strongest leaders I've ever been around still want to be liked by people. But in this moment here, all of a sudden, everything's going south. You know what the best response to critics are? A finished wall. <laughs> hey, Sand Ballot, check this out. <laughs> Dad, that's a big wall, isn't it? 52 days. Hey, where were you? Oh, yeah, so you were complaining and making up lies. You know what the greatest response as a leader is? Finish wall. See this wall? You had nothing to do with it. God, God, God did an amazing work. He took just a group of people. We, we, we identified the problem. There was a problem. There was no wall. And now there's a wall up there. What you, what you, what you doing? I mean, don't, don't you have a little, like, like Nehemiah's got a little, like, in him. You know, a little Jersey Shore in him, right? I mean, like, the best response to the critics is a finished wall. Which leads me to the fourth temptation. And this is a biggie. I've seen more leaders fail and walk away from their great work because they've looked for the easy way out. And it's not in the beginning, generally. In this situation, think about this. It was about the 90% mark. They were almost done with the project. And listen to what it says here. Verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delilah, son of uh, Medible, Mike, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Now watch this. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Now, let me, let me, let me read into it. What he's being told to do is run for his life because they're coming to kill him. This is the point in the project where he could have got out with honor. 90% done. I almost, it's almost finished. But who wouldn't run away if people were coming to kill him? Like, like I, I don't know how I would handle it, but like I would think that I'd, maybe I'd be strong. But I think the majority of us, if like they're coming to kill you, let's go. We would probably go, right? This, this was an escape for Nehemiah to go, you know something? I'm going to get out of here with some type of honor. He has a golden opportunity to give up. But here's the deal. Every leader, every leader, every person, marriage-wise, family-wise, work-wise, every leader that I've ever met has been given a golden opportunity to give up. And good leaders don't quit. Good leaders finish the job. They're faced with the temptation. I've been, in, I've been in ministry a long time, 30. This year, I'm celebrating my 30th year. That's a long time. I know I look like I'm 30. God, uh, my cousin, guy walks up to me in church. He goes, how much older is Alan than you? And I was like, lots. 
So it's just a year, but I mean, I just aged well. <laughs> 30, 30 years. For those who don't know my story, I was at Stevens Creek as a youth pastor for um, 13 or 12 or 13, 14 years. Been here. Been here as the founding pastor of Journey for 17. And I'm not going anywhere, okay? We're working on the walkway right now, so I can come up here. In 20 years, when I need a walker. Um, but somebody asked me last week, said, what's the hardest times in ministry you've ever had? And I thought about it long and hard, and I even prayed about it, like, because, like, I wanted to give a good answer. I asked if I can have a little bit of time. And I, I, I called the person back, and I said, there was two definitive moments in my life. Um, and the first one was the night before we started Journey in 2003. It was the hardest day of my life. I had my, my wife and my three little small kids, and I honestly could have got out with great honor. Nobody would have ever known. Nobody, nobody would have known we were supposed to start church tomorrow. It was only going to be about 20 of us. The second one, and you guys are going to think I'm a little crazy. It was a couple years ago. It's when we were walking down the road with Sherwood. I had no clue till this morning. Literally, when he walked up here, what he was going to talk about, I didn't know he was sharing a win from Sherwood. Um, I'm, I'm talking about Tracy Presley, our mission pastor. And he started sharing the wins. But there was a moment in time, maybe March, April, that it would have been really easy for us to give up. I, I remember, and, and, and Caleb Meeks, our... our um, our small groups coordinator and, and online pastor reminded me of this not too long ago. He said, we were in a staff meeting and there was some talk. They voted, there was some talk and they voted no. Not we, they did. And he said, Bobby, I heard you stand up. I heard you, until God tells us no, we're gonna keep going forward. And you said something that, I, it's just chilling, it's on, and God has not told us no. But you know how easy it would have been last year when COVID was going on to just cut our losses and go, you know something? It's not worth it. Tell that to the families that we reached out to on Wednesday that it would have been worth it. Tell them. Tell, them to, tell the eight people that got baptized about a month ago that it wasn't worth it. Everybody in this room has a great work. You have a wall that you have to sit on until it's completed. And what I'm finding out is lots of people, lots of leaders with great dignity and with great nobility, they, they just, they quit right at the last minute. And I just feel like I've got to tell some people in this room, don't quit. It may not be easy right now. It's not easy. Being a leader is very, very hard. But I love the passage. Nehemiah says it like this, but should a man run away and what man such I should go into the temple and live? And live, he goes, I will not go in. Yes, I could have great dignity. I can go in there. They, they, I have solace and sanctuary in there. They can't kill me. But I'm not that kind of guy. And he was telling the people around him, I'm willing to die for this. That's how important this great work is. I was going to show you pictures of what I think my great work is. My great work, first and foremost, is my marriage. I'm willing to die for it. I have three kids, a son-in-law and a future son-in-law and a future son-in-law that's not even around yet that we're praying over. 
That's my great work. I can't come off the wall, y'all. I can't come down from that. You look around this place, this is my great work. I can't, I don't have time to come off the wall. I, I don't have time for petty stuff. I don't have time for arguments. I don't have time for middle school drama. You hear me? Staff, you hear me? Elders, you hear me? I don't have time for petty. I got a great work I've got to do. I've got to, my butt has got to stay on this wall. I don't have any, I got to stay on this wall. God's assignment is not to be a cheerleader or a referee. My assignment is to get this wall built. There's people dying and going to hell and that should be our priority of journey. Not all the other stuff. Get on the bus, get off the bus or get out of the way because I'm coming through. That's my great work. What's your great work? What's it look like? Because everybody in this room has a great work. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to stay on the wall? Are you going to listen to people around? What, what are you going to do with your great work? See, and the only reason I can be this bold is because somebody else finished their great work, not Nehemiah, but Jesus. His great work was while we were far from him, he was trying to figure out a way to get us close to him again. And I don't know if you remember this. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, we are God's workmanship created to do good works. We're his work. We're his work. He has invested his whole life. As a matter of fact, he's on the cross. And what does he say? My work, it is finished. It's finished. The only reason I can have a good work is because he finished his good work. And the hero of this whole thing is not Nehemiah. It's Jesus. Because he's the one that rebuilt the walls around our life where the enemy can't get in and destroy us when he wants to seek, kill, and destroy. Somebody say amen to that. Let's pray. I want you to think about something. A little challenge, maybe. What's that great work? What's it look like for you? Family, maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's an idea you have. Where are you at in that great work? Are you at that point where you're saying, God can never use me or are people trying to lead you astray or are you, I mean, 90% done, but you're just tired? Don't give up. Here's the challenge. Invest 52 days in that. Just 52 days. Maybe it's praying over it. Maybe it's writing things out. Maybe it's dreaming about it again. Maybe because of the circumstances of life, you haven't been able to dream. The Bible says he turns our mourning into dancing. You will never mourn over a death of a dream, but you can, you can dance over a new dream. What's that look like for you? Heavenly Father, right now, I love the story of Nehemiah. Because he's a guy just like me that accomplished great things, epic, epic. But not so he could get a pat on the back, but that God, your name would be made famous in that time period. Allow us to be invested in our great work, that we prioritize it as the highest priority, that we can't come down off, off of that wall until that project is done. And for everybody in this room, it means different things. But one prayer, God, give us the strength 
to do that great work so the world will know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't do this in first service and I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I just wonder how many people would commit. Partner with me for the next 52 days to pray about our great works that we would literally invest time every day in that right there. And then tell the stories about how God built the wall, about how God did that great thing. And in 52 days, you're going, you know something, completed wall. And I've watched your hand. And that God would get all the praise and the glory and the honor that he's, that he's due. Somebody say amen to that. Not for us, but for him. So I'm gonna challenge you. I would love to hear from you. It's bobbysmith at journeycommunity.net. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.